We're going to read the Bible together now. The first reading is from the book of Isaiah and it's on page 511. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The second reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 1, and it can be found on page 707. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this, is what his, this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise with you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was 
in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when, they, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you do not tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. It'd be great if you could keep that passage that Carrie just read to us open, Mark chapter 1. For the next few weeks, uh, as has been flagged, 
We're going to be looking both at who Jesus is and looking at that question by, by examining Mark's Gospel, Mark chapters 1 to 8. Uh, and so I'd encourage you, uh, whether you're here for the first time or you've been many, many times before, why not start reading Mark's Gospel at home? Uh, it would do you good. Uh, but even more than that, we need God's Spirit to help us to understand Him and His Word. And so let's pray. Our Lord and Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for giving him to us. We thank you for revealing him to us. We thank you that we might know him. And Father, we pray that uh, as we come to know him better and better, we would come to be like him more and more. May your spirit speak to us through your word now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus has been called many things, uh, teacher, revolutionary, Saviour, Master, Prophet, Friend, Lord, much, much more. But Mark introduces him this way, 1 verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel, or good news, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. From the outset, Mark wants us to meet Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, That's not a surname, Christ, that's a title. A specific title for uh, the anointed, God-anointed ruler of an eternal universal kingdom. From the outset, Mark wants us to engage with the facts of who Jesus really is. And more than that, Mark wants to challenge us about how meeting Jesus must change who you are. Again, 1 verse 1, the beginning of the gospel, uh, the beginning of the good news. It's like a heading for the book, not just for the next few verses. If you flick over with me right to the end of book, uh, 722, Mark 16. So page 722, you'll notice there um, that Mark's ending is so unsatisfying to some scholars, uh, it finishes at verse 8, you know, the the women go out, say nothing to anyone, they're afraid. Um, So unsatisfying it is to some scholars, they needed to fix it with another 12 verses. Because Mark leaves it up in the air. The, The whole book is a beginning and he expects it to finish in your life. Yes, Mark does want to answer that question, who is Jesus? But in reading this gospel, you can't avoid answering personally, who do you say Jesus is? How will meeting him change you? So if you come this morning and you've, you've never really engaged Jesus, even if you've kind of been around church circles for a while, if you've never engaged Jesus, if he's never changed your life, I expect the next eight weeks will be um, challenging. Because you know, the beginning of Jesus in these pages push that they find a conclusion in your life. Uh, And if you have encountered Jesus, as most, many of us have, if you have reoriented your life around him, I trust you'll be refreshed. Now, each week as we keep asking the question, who is Jesus, and Mark answers it, I expect you'll remember why it is that you marvelled at him the first time and why, why you began to follow him and why it is you gave up your life to follow him. This morning, Mark shows us Jesus. He begins with Jesus, the powerful proclaimer of God's kingdom. Uh, Three things for us to note as we look at Mark 1. Uh, First is that Jesus proclaims within our broken reality. Uh, Secondly, Jesus proclaims powerfully what reality will be. Uh, And thirdly, Jesus proclaims for an urgent response. Uh, So first, he proclaims within our broken reality. So Mark's writing style um, has been criticised a lot for being unsophisticated and fairly simple, and it is. But he's not unstructured. He shows Jesus proclaiming the kingdom within our broken reality. Uh, To use Mark's language, Jesus is good news or gospel for those in the wilderness, those in the desert. 
So he doesn't frame Jesus for us in terms of nativity. We don't get, you know, God become man as a weak baby and we don't get the scandalous family background and we don't get the royal lineage of David. All that's kind of ignored. Mark presents Jesus to us framed by wilderness or the desert. So in verse 3, he quotes Isaiah's 700-year-old prophecy, a voice calling in the desert. And then we meet straight after that John who fulfills 700 years of silence. He fulfills it. He's got this wilderness ministry. So in verse 4, people are are flocking. They're leaving the the kind of towns to go out to him in the desert, out to him in the wilderness. Now his food and clothing in verse 6, yep, it's like the prophet Elijah. But more than that, it's, it's kind of practical food and wear for someone who lives on the outskirts of society. Yeah, and just as John declares someone greater is coming, uh, Jesus walks over the hill there in verse 9, out of Nazareth, out into the wilderness, that he might be baptised by John. Uh, and verse 12, Mark stresses uh, immediately, instantly, at once, Jesus is driven by the Spirit further into the wasteland. Now, even by the end of this kind of incredible chapter of ministry, verse 35, uh, Jesus again heads off to a solitary place. The original word there is, again, actually the same word that's been used for desert or wilderness earlier. Verse 35 makes it clear that Mark's not talking about geography. Um, Where Jesus was in Capernaum was actually lush and pleasant. See, Mark might write simply, but but not accidentally. In biblical thinking, the the wilderness, the desert, was the place of curse and grace. Uh, It was the place of judgment and temptation and new beginnings. You know, the wilderness was the place where you went to learn what it was to be a true son of God, where you, where you were taught repentance. You know, it's the place of broken reality. You know, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were cast out of the, the cultivated garden of Eden uh, and they were judged and cursed and they went into the wilderness. Um, Israel spent 40 years as a nation in the desert, in the wilderness, learning what it might really mean to follow God, living under his judgment but living under his gracious provision too. In the wilderness, they learn to depend and and prepare for uh, a new beginning, a a land of blessing. When Isaiah preached that that original, we read it from Isaiah 40, that voice calling from the wilderness, he was speaking to a nation of sinners who are again uh, experiencing exile far from their home, uh, far from God's land. The wilderness, the desert, is a place of curse and grace and it is still our broken reality. Sydney might be comfortable, uh, it might be highly urbanised, but it's still a spiritual wilderness. You know, it's still the place of temptation and curse and judgement and grace and new beginnings. You know, this is the world still where Syrian governments can kill their own citizens. You know, this is the wilderness still where relationships crumble uh, and dementia and blindness grip the age and where babies miscarry and children die. This is still the wilderness where physical blessings and comfort actually lead to spiritual rebellion. Now, who's Jesus? Well, he is the one who leaps into the wilderness. So he goes in to be baptised in the desert. He counts himself as one of us. Uh, He shares life under the weight of God's curse and judgment. Uh, But at his baptism, verse 10, it's different to everyone else who's being out there going baptised, the heavens rip open. The divide between earth and God is taken down. There's the prospect of hope. Uh, That heavenly voice in verse 11 declares, here is a true faithful son. Uh, And he proves in verse 12, he goes out further into the wilderness to the place of temptation and he shares in trials, but he's not overcome. 
That's why Mark can write in 1 verse 1, this is good news, this is gospel. Jesus is good news for us because God breaks into our broken reality to do something about it. And the relief for you and I is that in Jesus, at last, there is a solution to our problems that doesn't depend on me and doesn't depend on you. Uh, In a few weeks, I'm going along to hear uh, Elaine de Baton uh, speak at the Opera House. Uh, Baton, at least on his website, is described as the world's most popular philosopher, which um, you might be thinking, wow, that's about as close to, you know, winning a raffle ticket with one ticket sold. You know, I'm not sure how many popular philosophers out there, but he's apparently the most popular Um, He's going to be speaking about his book, uh, his latest book, Religion for Atheists. Uh, He's arguing that, yep, God should be thrown out, but religion should be cherry-picked for for the kind of good features. Uh, It's an interesting idea, certainly a more moderate idea than others around. Uh, It's also copped flack already. Not least, there's this assumption built into it that on our own, humanity is capable of fixing the world. that on our own, you are capable of fixing your problems. Now that alone, we as humanity can get ourselves out of the wilderness. And the tragedy is that's not the case. You know, I feel the burdens of, of brokenness. I want to solve them. You know, when people tell me a problem, I want to, I want to have, here's the silver bullet and clean it all up. Uh, someone shared with me how he thinks at 42 he's at last developed a conscience. That is, for the first time, um, he actually wants to be active about issues that for a long time he thought of probably not unhelpful and wrong. So, you know, like problem gambling, he actually wants to do something about it. He feels like at last he's got a conscience. Uh, but you know as well as me that our brokenness needs to be fixed, not just from within, it needs something outside to step in. And that is why Jesus is such good news. You know, he, he proclaims within our brokenness and he lifts the burden away from you and I. We don't have to fix all the problems. Which brings us to what he proclaims it does. Our second point, Jesus powerfully proclaims what reality will be. So in verse 14, John is taken out of the picture, literally there, um, he's handed over to prison. Uh, much like Jesus will be in his own life's end. And, and so with John taken out of the way, Jesus steps forward. And, and Jesus, though, does it with the power of one who can baptise with the Spirit, not water. And so he proclaims coming reality for us to join in. He proclaims the kingdom and he gives it a certain power. Verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. See, the good news for, for us who are in the wilderness is there is a new world coming. You know, this dynamic action, this reign of God that, that overcomes the curse. You know, a promise of a final judgment that, that will take the kingdom servants out of the desert, out of the wilderness. And, and this is what reality will unavoidably be. But Jesus doesn't explain so much the, the, the content of God's kingdom. He just gives demonstrations. Uh, as someone wrote, uh, Mark is no abridged copy of St. Matthew, but a history of your Lord's works rather than his words. You get a Mark is meant to be this kind of choppy, racy account. It's, it's, it's excitement because it's showing how Jesus is a man of action, uh, how the reign of God will actually be. He shows this is what the future is going to be. He gives a sample of. He proclaims with fresh authority. You know, authority over worldly ties, authority over spiritual darkness, over, over sickness and barriers. So in verse 16 and following, uh, 
he, he, he calls his disciples, the first one, Simon and Andrew, and, and at once they leave their nets and follow him. And, and James and John, almost identical, but in verse 20 it highlights how they leave their father. That is, Jesus is proclaiming a kingdom with greater bonds than employment, greater bonds than biology. The normal places you go to find your identity. No, no, here is something better. You know, it's good news at the end of um, a hard week at work. It's good news when you're struggling with friction in the family, isn't it? There's, there's somewhere greater a greater authority, a greater place. In 21 to 28, there's another incident. He's got power. This new reign has power over all evil forces. The demon in verse 24 knows who Jesus is. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? It's unclear whether uh, he has in mind that Jesus has come to destroy evil spirits or actually destroy everyone who's gathered there in the synagogue who doesn't recognise his power. Either way, he recognises Jesus is powerful. Uh, Rather than the normal exorcisms of the day where people would have chanting and use magic objects, uh, Jesus, with a simple word, casts the evil spirit out. Here is real power. For those of us here who are inclined to, um, I suppose, ignore spiritual realities, it's humbling, isn't it? There are great forces in existence we don't see. But for those of us who make too much of those evil spirits, it's comforting. They're not that great. Compared to Jesus, they're not that great. Someone wrote, we do well to follow the example of the early church, not to ignore the demonic, but focus attention on Jesus, the healer who defeats the demonic. Now, here is real power. Here is a future worth being part of. Now, in 29 uh, and following, uh, he's got power of sickness. You know, Jesus hears of Peter's sick mother-in-law, Peter very graciously speaks of his sick mother-in-law to him, uh, loves her clearly. Uh, And rather than keep the medically safe distance, Jesus steps in, touches her. And with a simple touch, she is so much better that she's up and about and working and serving and it's that immediate, that powerful. Sickness is done away with and forgotten like that. You know, the the final incident, at least of this chapter, with the leper from verse 40 on the next page, um, Jesus has power over even religious barriers. Uh, in verse 41, we see his compassion. The original expression has this, this sense of anger uh, at the situation, the state of this man. And, and Jesus' power, he gives that desired healing. But, but at the end, in verse 44, the real goal is ritual reacceptance. You know, he's powerfully proclaiming a kingdom that's not just powerful over suffering, but, but every religious barrier that holds people, holds people back from God. He, this man is welcomed as he's sent back to the priests and be reinvited in. Get the picture, he is proclaiming what the future is. Rather than talking about what it would be like, he just gives away free samples. Who's Jesus? Now, he is the bringer of God's better reality. Now, even now, uh, proclaiming God's kingdom changes lives of brokenness. Uh, this week, a bloke shared something of his story with me. Uh, he'd grown up in a dysfunctional family, uh, an abusive father. At least one of his brothers was in jail. Uh, he'd grown up and he'd married himself only to repeat those kind of patterns of domestic abuse that he'd learnt as a child. Uh, he, was a, he was a tough man, a hard man, uh, but he hated himself and he hated his life. Uh, he knew a Christian that he worked with and he hated that Christian as well because um, this Christian uh, whistled while he worked. You know, he, he just wasn't filled with self-loathing. Uh, they'd moved down from uh, the Blue Mountains down to Sydney and um, 
out of loneliness, his wife uh, went to church thinking they might meet some nice new people there. Uh, after a while, he started to wonder why his wife was kind of so long at, out on a, on a Sunday night at church. And so genuinely believing that she was having an affair, uh, he decided he would go to church and sort the bloke out. Uh, and he went to church and he was struck by Jesus. He was struck by Jesus. Here is a man of power. Here is a man who could actually do something about the problems. He knew how wretched he was and yet Jesus could do something. He could bring forgiveness. He could bring hope. Jesus actually opened to this man uh, the possibility of a future out of the wilderness. And he went home and he found a Bible that for some reason he was given in school and survived every time he'd moved house. And he opened it up and he started reading John. And 12 hours later, so first thing in the next morning, uh, he was on the phone to the pastor at church saying, I want to talk to you more about this Jesus. And he was transformed. And his relationship with his wife and his view of himself, they all have been turned around. You know, it's that kind of transformation is why Jesus is marvelled at. In verse 22, verse 27... Uh, the crowds are amazed at his authority because he can change brokenness. Jesus didn't simply talk about the future reality. He, he allowed people at least to sample it in part, just like this guy I met. Yeah, when you see those samples, doesn't it make you hunger? Don't you want the fulfilment? Don't you want to be part of it all? Don't you want to be in this kingdom? But giving small samples to just a little group is not Jesus' aim. He powerfully proclaims what will be so that many will experience it in full. Now that third point, Jesus proclaims for an urgent response. So from verse 32, um, his reputation, he's building, he is popular. Oh, we've lost the cheering kids. <laughs> but he is popular. Uh, and the sick and the needy are lining up. Uh, but Jesus, rather than go to meet his crowd, he withdraws, he goes to the wilderness. He goes back to that place of grace and curse. He draws strength from his father in prayer and his disciples search for him and they find him and they go, Jesus, they're thinking he's missed out on the healings and the fame that he's come for. Come on, Jesus, come to the crowd. And no, no, he explains his real priority, verse 38. Let's go somewhere else to nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. Yet Jesus has the big picture in mind. He, he isn't interested in short-term solutions. He's, his goal is not just to heal uh, the, the, the passing suffering of some people. His goal is not just reforming the, you know, the family life and self-opinion of that guy I met. He does do that, but it's more. His real priority, his real goal is he wants to call as many people as possible to be fit for the coming reality. Now, he doesn't want to be popular he wants to be followed into the coming kingdom. That's why I can understand uh, the Christian I know of who left social work, frustrated that in their workplace they weren't able to speak to those in need of God's perfect kingdom because that's what they really needed, the long-term solution. Yeah, and he's proclaiming it with an urgency and he calls for two responses. First, he calls for urgent repentance. Jesus wants people to repent. Verse 15, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. Because when God's kingdom comes in full, any who haven't will be destroyed. Like the demons of verse 24, there is no place for those who won't acknowledge God's rule. Now, real confession, 
Real repentance. That's what Jesus wants. He's not interested in people who flock to him because they'll, you know, he, he can meet some needs. They're the crowds he actually leaves behind and goes to the next village. He's not interested in people being able to articulate clearly and concisely who Jesus is. The demon was able to do that. You are the Holy One of God. Didn't save him. Jesus wants real repentance. That means real confession. Come before God begging like the tax collector, have mercy on me, a sinner. It means real change. You know, as Paul challenged the Corinthians on giving, it's, it's not enough to talk, it must result in action. And he wants it done urgently. You know, the kingdom is at hand in verse 15. Mark's style is simple, unsophisticated. It is less wordy. It is less well-constructed than other Gospels. Uh, there are lots of ands. Actually, our, our translation drops most of the ands that are in there because it's, it's kind of like a three-year-old telling you a story. And then, I, and, then, and then Jesus, and then Jesus, you know, it is that kind of book, but it's done that way because it's a book of action. It's not a ponderous mulling ideas like John is. Now, he writes that way because it's urgent. Uh, the word immediately or at once appears in verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, 20, 21, 23, 29, 30. Um, I didn't expect you to get them down. You know, if you've not really repented, you can't afford to keep putting it off. You know, the kingdom is near. And don't forget that, as Isaiah wrote, you are just grass that withers. Perhaps today you need a new beginning with Jesus. You know, the man I mentioned whose life was turned around, what really mattered was not his experiencing a better life because he came into contact with Jesus, but what really mattered for him was confession and repentance. He is prepared for eternity and complete blessing. The second response that Jesus calls for, unconditional following. That's what repentance looks like. So he, he calls people in verse, 14, verse 15, repent, believe the good news. What might it look like? He walks by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew and an unqualified follow me. He doesn't say how long. He doesn't say where. He just says, follow me. Jesus offers a place in this, this coming reality of God's kingdom, but he expects us to leave the treasures of this world behind. Uh, he invites us to throw caution to the wind and risk it. I'm a pretty risk-averse person. I'm not into those kind of adrenaline rides or that kind of, that's not, But there are some risks worth taking. For Simon, Andrew, James, John, their family and their job came second to preparing for the kingdom. Uh, yes, you know, Simon still cares for his mother-in-law, but, but fishing for men, you know, hauling people in, telling others, getting them to be prepared for judgment, that's priority. Now, Anna shared with me something she's been reading uh, an insight um, that a failure to live genuinely, a failure to live authentically leads to lots of depression in people. When there's a, a mismatch between um, who you perceive yourself to be and who you actually are, you, you, you get down. And hearing that, as I heard that and as I read Mark 1, I, you know, I felt the challenge. Follow me, says Jesus. Yeah, and unless I, unless you commit to unconditional discipleship, to being more committed to the coming reality of God's kingdom than the reality of this broken wilderness, then your satisfaction will always be elusive. Jesus says, follow me. And there is no place for, I will, Jesus, if... Follow me. Who's Jesus? He is the powerful proclaimer of God's kingdom in a broken reality. Now, it all begins with him, but how will it be concluded in your life? 
the time has come the kingdom of god is near repent and believe the good news let's pray lord and father we thank you for jesus we thank you for who he is and everything that he has done for us we thank you that he was willing to enter the brokenness of this world that he might turn it upside down. We thank you for the way he brought the kingdom in power and for the opportunity he gives for us to join and follow him, to repent and believe that we might find a real hope, a real future and avoid the judgment that we deserve. Father, as he calls to us, as we know the kingdom is near, as he says, follow me, may we, each one of us, follow him with our whole hearts and find the joy of that good news in his service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.